0: It doesn't seem fair some days it's not fair honestly what our kids have to go through and when we dig into the backstories it's often not fair what their parents have gone through they need people to go you know what i'm going to step into the messiness i'm going to step into the unfairness because that's where love is really needed the most Welcome to Adoption Now, sharing real stories of the joys and challenges of adoption. Now, here's the host of Adoption Now, April Fallon.
1: Hey, welcome to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. We are so glad you turned into our podcast. We are dedicated to telling adoption stories. My husband and I have four adopted children, When we started the show, we only had three, and eight months ago, we got a surprise baby. Malia Kate is the biological sibling to our daughter, Vivi. That was not an easy adoption, and next week, Noah and I will be sharing that full journey. Malia is a gift from God, the best baby. She is filled with joy, and she is 100% worth all we went through to bring her home But we could not have done it without Nightlight Adoptions. Today we have the social worker who helped us bring Malia home. Megan Nally from Nightlight joins us. Welcome to the show, Megan. Thank you for having me. It's so good to see you again. It's good to be back. Can you believe it's been eight months? That has gone by so fast. You didn't think we were going to get her, did you? (laughs) It was an interesting journey. It certainly was, as most adoptions are. And that's why we tell these stories, so that people understand what a family goes through to bring home a child, and even after they bring home the child, what they have to go through in that attachment period. This is National Adoption Month, and we started the month off by telling an unbelievable story about a woman who was adopted at three weeks old. She placed her baby in her early 20s, and later in life, she adopted a son. She found her birth parents, She found her biological son she placed for adoption, and she has an open adoption with her adopted son. Can you believe that? It's crazy. I mean, it's an amazing story. She is the whole triad. You can find that story about Kitty on our website, adoption-now.com. Then the last two weeks, we have had stories about embryo adoption. One was from the perspective of a donor family. After Scott and Katie went through IVF, they had twins through surrogacy. They felt complete, but had two healthy embryos that they donated to an adoptive family who carried those embryos full term and had twins. Then last week, we had a story of a mother who adopted two babies through traditional infant adoption, carried a biracial baby through embryo adoption, and had several losses through the whole mix of it. Such great stories. So we've covered a lot this month, and today we're going to talk about foster care. Megan is here and also Shelly Raddick who is the president of Project 127. Welcome Shelly. Thanks for having me. Okay so you both are so passionate about foster care. Currently we have 2,000 certified families in Colorado but with an average of 14 kids a day entering the system Colorado is in need of 1,200 families to help. You two are working hard to get those families involved and trained. Shelly, tell us how Project 127 started.
0: Well, I didn't start Project 127, but it was started in 2004 when Pastor Robert Gelinas realized that there were 875 legally free waiting to be adopted kids in Colorado and about 1,500 churches, and he just didn't like that math. He really felt like with that many churches, there should never be a child waiting for a family. And so through that process, he started Project 127. My own story started, I actually uh, have a brother. My parents adopted through foster care and then was a foster mom myself and raised two of my foster kids to adulthood. We got to adopt them, and so now they're young adults. So you're passionate about adopting through the foster care system.
1: I I think you could say that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, tell us
0: about Project 127. What do you do? So Project 127 really works to inspire the church, and the people in the pews to get involved in caring for the kids in our foster system. And we do that working through churches. We do that by offering a state-approved, biblically-based, yes, I said state-approved, biblically-based training for foster and adoptive parent certification. And then we offer family care workers who just walk alongside families and just help them through every step of the journey.
1: So why should a family choose Project 127 above going through the state?
0: Well, I think uh, one thing that we offer is that before you decide kind of what path you're going to go, you can go and get information. You can actually get trained and then decide what path you want to take. So that's one big one. I know for me, uh, we were exploring and the first thing you do is just go to this big You know, they're like expecting you to move forward. So it was a little intimidating. Second thing, I think um, there's a lot of extra care. So you have a whole layer of people that are experienced in helping you through the journey. And the third thing is that biblically faith based. So that means that we don't just prepare you with the state requirements, but we also help you grow in your faith and also grow in your capacity to love the children and their families involved in foster care.
1: That's great. Megan, tell us your involvement in foster care.
0: Yeah. So
2: I manage Nightlight Christian Adoptions foster care program. So we certify foster and foster adoptive families.
1: Okay. So why would I choose an agency again and not just go through the state? So I would say a big difference of going through
2: an agency versus going directly through your county is that we are able to Work with all 64 counties in Colorado. When you decide to go through your local county, you can only be matched with children from your local county. Another huge benefit is, again, that support piece. We are your advocates through the process, and our goal is to connect you with resources as well as other foster and foster adoptive families in
1: your community. Okay, I have to ask, do both of these programs, they work together, they're not competing. They're hand-in-hand, Are they expensive?
0: No. (laughs) So funny because people think of private adoption and international adoption, and they put that same cost on adoption through foster care. And we tell families, if you spend more than $500, you'll be the rare bird. Usually it's just a few hundred dollars for things like background checks and medical, um, filling out some forms. So it's very inexpensive to foster and to adopt kids from foster care. And what about through an agency?
1: So
2: through our agency, we have a partnership with Project 127 that does allow us to offer our services for free. So it is really nice. Um, We love our partnership with Project 127 because they essentially take a bulk of the paperwork portion and all of the training out of our hands so that when families come to us, we're able to focus on getting them through the rest of the certification process. So doing the interview portion and then matching them with children and then supporting them through the placement after that
1: okay, Colorado is in need of 1,200 families, and that's just the immediate need right now. What can we do to motivate families who are kind of thinking about it?
0: Well, I think one really good thing is just to kind of look around your house and say, you know, do we have some space available? Many people don't realize, you know, that top bunk or that bedroom that they're using as a sewing room or a guest room there are kids that really could use that home space. They could really use to be part of a family. And I think just getting the word out, I think Megan and I both work hard at that. We're constantly going places and telling people about the need of our kids in foster care. These are great kids. We just had an event. We called them our hidden gems because underneath the trauma that they've experienced, there's that God-created beauty in each one. And I think it's motivating to people to think about the fact that you could be part of getting beyond the trauma and uncovering the beauty, the gifts, the talents, the abilities that God's given those children.
2: And I would also add too that everyone can play a role in foster care. It it doesn't mean that you necessarily have to start out by becoming a certified foster parent. There are so many volunteer opportunities out there as well. Um, We need respite care providers who are just going to provide temporary care for our children. And be able to give a family a break because caring for kids that are coming from traumatic backgrounds can be challenging and so they need a break just as any parent does there are other ways to get involved as well uh, we encourage families to build up a support system of friends and family that will provide them with meals when they receive a placement or do a quasi baby shower for them and it kind of, it's a great way to get to know these kids and realize that they're just kids at the end of the day
1: This just makes me feel so motivated. But let's talk about respite care. What can I do as a adoptive mother to help in respite care? What does that even mean? Giving them a break like date night or the whole weekend or a week or what is respite care? Anything,
2: anything in between. I mean, honestly, it could be that date night where you're just providing a couple of hours of care for that child. Or you could become a certified foster parent yourself and be able to provide either weekend care or more long term than that. The nice thing about that is sometimes foster placements can last upwards to a year, sometimes a couple of years. And so if you kind of want to get your toes wet, becoming certified and just providing respite is a really great
0: way to get involved.
1: What do I have to do to become a respite parent? Is that what it's called? Respite parent?
0: Or a respite care provider. Okay. But you, you know, really, it depends on how far you want to get your toes wet. Because you can do just a few hours in the child's home um, without much more than a background check. But if you want to do longer, like a weekend or a couple weeks while the family goes on a vacation, then you need to get certified as a foster parent.
1: What would you say to somebody right now who is thinking about it, but the trauma piece is overwhelming to them? They're afraid of what trauma looks like.
0: Well, I would say they're right. Trauma is a big thing. It's scary. But it, it's also something that with training, you can really help a child work through. And we don't just throw you in uh, with a child that's been traumatized without giving you some really great trauma-informed training. So tools and tips for building relationship with that child an understanding of the behaviors that come out of trauma. So you get a lot of great training before you step in. And I think that's where respite care comes in too because you also can get some experience with kids who've experienced trauma while you're providing respite care for other families.
2: I would add too that during the process as well we would continue to provide support to the family. So it's not just you go through your pre-certification training and we let you go. Throughout the process we as a foster care agency we are required to visit our families on a monthly basis we tend to talk to our families on a much more regular basis than that as well. But we continue to provide services to the family, support um, that encouragement and those resources
1: so that even after a child is placed into your home, you're not on your own. Okay, so Project 127 is doing the training and you as an agency, Nightlight, is placing the child. That's correct. Okay, so if I was interested in foster care, could I tell you this is what... My family is looking for this is what we can handle or in foster care is it kind of like you get what the need is
0: you definitely take some time to think about what could our family handle what's our capacity where do we have bandwidth and for the most part you know we're going to honor that and the nightlight will honor that we're not going to place you with a child that's beyond your capacity to care we want you to be successful because we want that child to be successful I will say though, and and I think Megan agrees, we'll also try to stretch you a little bit. Mm -hmm. So if you come saying, hey, we could only take babies, we might say, hey, have you thought about a two-year-old? Or if you say only five-year-olds, you know, could you think three to seven? Uh, Just because there is such a need and when you can be a little bit broader and we can kind of give you the tools for that, you just have a lot more opportunity to serve kids. Do you give training
1: on how to deal with biological parents? Yes. And what that's like when you are taking the child back to those visits that may be reoccurring trauma for the child.
0: We definitely give training on that, training to help you understand the child's biological parents because they often have experienced trauma and that's led to a lot of the behaviors that they have in their families, Um, but also ways to build a relationship with them that are safe for you and your family, safe for the child. And then training on how to help that child navigate that trauma because the interesting thing for the kids is they they love their parents so much and then there's the safety piece and there's the grief piece and so it's it's really confusing for the kids so we really try to help you help the children manage that process.
1: I feel like as a mother and going through all the placements that we've been through. We have adopted four, but we've gone through seven different placements. And so there's been a lot of loss and trauma and grief in our own journey. And so when I started to go through the trauma piece and learn about birth parents and learn all these things, I grew as a person. I understood God more. My faith increased. I got a little bit more grit, right? Because you go into it. Thinking this is going to be so easy. I'm just going to be loving. And the kid is going to be like, mom, thank you. I love you so much. And really, when you start to learn that you are fighting for a life, you are changing a child from the inside out. Oftentimes, they have not experienced love. They don't even know how to receive love. And that takes a process of day in and day out commitment. I had no idea what that looks like. And I did not get the training that you guys are offering. And so through life, I just got the training, right? You know, And I think that that's a much harder way to go. But the fact that there's this opportunity for families to get the training
0: before they go into it is amazing. How long does that training take? It depends on kind of when you start, but really you could go through the training, start to finish in about six weeks.
1: What does it take to become a foster parent? What do you need to have? You need to
2: have a home (laughs) and just to honestly, at the end of the day, uh, just be willing to take in these children and to love and care for them as, as you would a biological child. The nice thing about being a foster parent is there are many less restrictions than there are compared to international adoptions. For example, you can be single, you can be married. You don't necessarily have to own a home either. You have to be able to pass a background check. The certification process, what that looks like is 28 hours minimum of training required by the state,
1: background checks, and then interviews with a social worker. I just have a very weird question about background checks. Remember, when I'm not doing this podcast, I am talking with adoptive families all the time that are asking me questions about all kinds of adoption. What path should they take? What's a good fit for their family? And I was sitting with a family once and they said, tell us about the background checks. And I said, well, you know, they're going to take your fingerprints. And he said, well, I have a background in meth. Do you think that would affect me getting a child? And, and, and when you hear that, you're like, well, of course you're not going to get a child. But it was like 17 years ago. He's recovered his life. What if somebody has some criminal history, but it's, it's a long time ago? What is that statute of limitation?
2: So we recognize that there are not perfect parents out there the important thing is to be looking at how long ago did these incidences occur whether there were children involved or not Um, that would be something that would be an automatic no and then also what what does it look like for you from the time that the incident happened to now do you have the supports in place have you shown that you've been able to recover or overcome
1: anything that has been in your past? That was a hard question, huh? (laughs) A little bit. It is a hard question, but sometimes people get changed and want to still help children and they're afraid. They're afraid to go forward because they have this thing. They're divorced. I talk to a lot of people that are terrified of adoption because they've
0: been divorced. Yeah, you can be divorced. You can be single. Really, you need to be over 21 and you need to have space for the child to live. And I think sometimes we find that families um, where the members of the dad and the mom have gone through some tough stuff, a lot of times they just understand the kids. They kind of get a little bit about where they're coming from. And so I think they can be more empathetic to both what the child's been through and also what that parent might be experiencing. Because remember in foster care, you have these parents that need to gain the skills and the freedom from substance abuse and things like that, the freedom from their past so they can be successful parents.
1: Bottom line, these children need homes. And what happens if we only have 2,000 families? What happens to those kids? They get overcrowded in the foster care certified families? The families get burnt out? I mean, what's happening when we're upside down like that as a state?
0: Well, what happens is often our teenagers will be in group homes or in some level of residential care that they don't need to be. We have situations where Uh, Children have to be moved out of their county, away from the services, um, not kind of in their own neighborhoods. And so we also have like we had some families that really only wanted school age kids and ended up taking several babies just because there was a need for people who take a baby right from the hospital for a while. So what happens is kids don't get placed in a situation that's the best fit for them.
1: We want this podcast to really encourage you to say yes to a child if you're thinking about foster care we want to say yes we can help you Megan Nally is from Nightlight and Shelly Raddick is from Project 127 they can help you on that journey to becoming a foster care family we have to take a break when we come back they are going to share stories about other families that have said yes you're listening to Adoption Now I'm April Fallon we'll be right back Hi, this is April, the host of Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. We currently have over 60 adoption stories about infant adoption, international adoption, foster to adopt, and embryo adoption. They are told from the perspective of the birth parent, adoptive parent, or the adoptee. We have stories from all over the country and internationally. We talk about the journey very openly and are here to encourage the adoption community. We are a 501c3 and are currently raising support for next year's budget. It takes us $20,000 a year to produce this show. Help us keep it going and take it even further. You can donate on our website, adoption-now.com. And remember, all donations are tax deductible. Help us give adoption a voice. Welcome back to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. We're talking to Megan Nally from Nightlight Christian Adoptions and Shelly Raddick from Project 127. They are telling us about foster care. This episode is dedicated to the promotion of foster care, helping Colorado get families that are certified to take in children. It is said that there is an average of 14 children a day in Colorado that are going into the system. Is that True. That's true. Unfortunately. That is heartbreaking. Yeah. So we have 2,000 families and we are in need of 1,200 right now. Yep. What would you say to a family that is thinking about it?
0: Find out more. Just start the journey. Just take the first step and go, okay, what is this all about? Go to an info night. Ask someone questions. Just take that first step and find out a little more. Second thing find somebody who's doing it, you know, find another foster family, go to a foster adopt support group and get to know the families and the kids involved, because I think you're going to be really surprised about, yes, it's hard and there's a lot of trauma, grief and loss, but it's also incredible to watch the kids just go from really being sad and and really not connecting and making eye contact to, looking you in the eye and laughing at you and you see these big smiles. It's amazing.
1: Shelly Raddick is the president of Project 127 and this is a biblically-based training for foster families and it
0: starts from the very beginning until the entire time of foster care, correct? Right, yeah. We stay with our families until they're done with us. So, you know, if they continue to foster, we stay with them through the just continued placement and also the last and then some of the families end up adopting that was really big this last week we had 11 children adopted into our families which was fun and just as long as they need help because even post adoption as you know and as I know as an adoptive mom we still need supports we do and
1: oftentimes that's the downfall of agencies is you get your baby or get your child and then they disappear and they're not there to answer those questions and have those conversations about the struggles that you may be having. And it doesn't mean that it's not worth it. Megan, talk to me a little bit about Nightlight and what you guys do for foster care families, because I know you do foster to adopt, Mm -hmm. but you also help families get started in foster care in general?
2: Yeah. So the certification process is the exact same for foster or foster adoptive families. And for foster families, a lot of times it just means that we end up working with them for a little bit longer. Just like Shelly said, we are with families for as long as they need our support, but we are required by the state of Colorado to visit our families on a monthly basis. And We do a really great job at trying to connect our families to each other, too. We put on uh, different monthly events, such as a women's coffee date, to connect these families because at the end of the day, your support system is so crucial in this process. Mm -hmm. So we really try to connect our families to those individuals, to the resources around them in order to have a successful placement.
1: I will say I had Megan in my house so much and I dearly love her. I would encourage you all, if you're thinking of foster care, have Megan come do everything because <laughs> so nice. she's kind and she's loving. And you're telling her a lot of personal information as she's doing your home study. And she's just very sweet about everything and very encouraging. And I felt when we were going through so many different things and so many different struggles, that she was a great support to our family, that she was always gracious. And she kept saying, we're not looking for perfect families. Mm. You don't have to be perfect.
2: And, you know, I think that that is a really crucial thing about working with Project 127 and working with an agency is that, unfortunately, at the end of the day, the state is overburdened. They have way too many cases on their caseload. And so, What we are in the fortunate place to be able to do is to walk alongside these families and be more of that emotional support for them, that they have a person that they can call when their child is struggling with those sensory things or just whatever that support needs to look like. We are able to be that person for them that they are able to call at any time.
0: I would add, we not only are there for them, but we encourage them and help them to build their own support system. So part of our training, all our families have to bring at least four friends and family members to four hours of training. Really? how to support them. So many of them bring 15 or 20 people. And so we encourage people to build the system within them, then connect with foster adoptive families through support groups and care groups. And so I think Night Lane and Project 127, we, we believe so strongly in the fact that foster and adoptive families need to be surrounded by communities that really get them and that really care
1: takes a village to raise a child. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And with adoption, even more. When you have a mother say, oh, I get it. On your hardest day where you feel like you're not connecting or you're just tired and she says, oh, I get it. Oh, let me tell you a story. And it just encourages you. It makes the world of difference. Let's talk about those stories. Shelly, you have a great story for us.
0: Oh, wow. Well, you know, we have a family that just finalized this last week. A little boy, um, he is just over a year old. They stepped in uh, about four years ago. They wanted to grow their family through adoption. They decided to go the foster care route. And through their training, they also realized and learned um, that they had opportunity to love and care for their foster children's parents. So they're placed with a little guy, loved him, two years old. He was with them for about a year, and they got to meet his father and realized here is a man that needed love as well. And they walked alongside that man and really helped him reunify with his son, became godparents, got to do childcare, really stay in the child's life. Just a few months later, they found out that the child's mother had another baby, and that's one they just adopted. So one thing I love is that their finalization this week, Big Brother was also there. So this kiddo now, this little one, has great adoptive parents. He gets to see his brother and his biological grandmother. And there's just this just this amazing story of redemption and family connections that this little guy has.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Megan, do you have a story?
2: You know, it's funny. Mine is very similar to that one. And, you know, I think that that is one of the beautiful things about foster care is that Whether the child is reunified with their biological parents, you get to be a part of this redemptive story. When the child is able to be adopted, you are able to walk with that child through the rest of their life. And so there's so many beautiful stories in foster care. We had a family that came to us and they specifically wanted to adapt. And the more we talked to them, they started to realize the huge need that we have for foster parents specifically that are willing to take in children where we don't know the outcome of the case yet. And so they kind of took that leap of faith and decided to foster a couple of children. And those children were able to be reunified with their biological mother. And they have maintained those connections with her today. And then they were placed with another sibling group. And these children, they are going to be able to adopt. And so they've been able to meet the biological mother for these children. And she actually decided to choose their family when she had another baby. And so not only did they end up being able to adopt the baby, that they were always kind of desiring to do so, but they've been able to impact and be a part of so many other children's
0: lives too. If you don't mind, I'd love to give a shout out to those people who are getting towards the end of their active parenting years, getting towards empty nest or maybe empty nesters. We have a family that adopted about nine years ago. Their kiddos now have gone on to college, realized they had bedroom space available. And instead of, you know, deciding to travel all the time or take an early retirement, they decided they have a few more years to give to parenting. And so they are actively fostering. And I just want to give a shout out to all of you who are getting towards the end of your act of parenting, um, there are kids that could really just use two or three years of parenting, 15, 16-year-olds that just need some experienced parenting to give them a couple of years of attention and love. Those are the best
1: parents, the ones that have raised children and they're rich in wisdom and they have so much to give.
0: Yeah, you know, often it's just stretching yourself for a couple more years of parenting too. Uh, you don't, as a, you know, almost emptiness or have to take an infant. You can take a teenager and really make a great difference in that child's life.
2: I'd also like to point out, too, that one of the things that I hear a lot from families is they don't want to pursue foster care because they're afraid they'll get too attached to children. And I think that kind of misses the point a little bit. Families that end up fostering, it's not as if they have this unique ability to not get attached to these children. They absolutely get attached to them. But at the end of the day, the sacrifice of that child experiencing love, learning how to trust an adult again, far exceeds any sort of pain that that family is going to feel if that child is reunified with their biological parents.
1: I love this show because I get to learn all the things I didn't learn in the journey And one of the things that makes this show so emotional for me is we did try to adopt through the foster care system. It was kind of thrown at us. A woman was trying to give her baby up for adoption. We were connected with her and we brought our agency in. Our agency was only private infant adoption. So they really didn't have any training for us besides what was required by the state. They were not a great support to us during the process because they normally did not work with the state. So they didn't have great advice as we were going through all these hoops. She ended up changing her mind. We were at the hospital with the baby because she gave the baby to us very sick. And once the state came in, the state was saying, well, she signed the paperwork, the mom came back, there's nothing we can do. And there was no one there to support us. They said to us, If this goes through as an adoption, it's a failure on our part because the mom is wanting this baby back, but she's abusing the baby. It was a mess and we had no one. We just talked to our family. And of course, when you talk to your family, they're like, this isn't right. We've got to do something. Well, that's not helpful because they don't really know the laws or what we can do. And so when a family goes into a situation that just is unexplainable... And they can call you, Megan, or they can call you, Shelly, and all the people that work at Project 127, and they can say, what do we do? What's best for the child? And how do I love this birth parent? I had zero training on how to love a birth parent. I knew with infant adoption how to write a birth parent letter, but that's totally different than sitting face-to-face with somebody who is struggling with many different things besides just losing their child. And I had no idea how to reach out to her and what to say to the social workers. It was a mess. The child ended up staying in the foster care system for four and a half years. So for me, when I hear what you guys are doing to help support families, it changes my mindset on foster care so much and changes my mindset on getting involved in something that could be messy because it's not about my life or my comforts. It's about giving more of myself and looking around, like you said, Shelley, and saying, what do I have here that could benefit another person, another little person?
0: You know, I think this idea that foster care is messy is is so true. And I just want to echo what Megan said is people go into foster care knowing that it's going to hurt, knowing that they're going to love this child like crazy. We've got a family right now that's had a little girl place with them for a year, since she was just a couple days old, they love her like crazy. And, you know, they're willing to work on the redemption of her family, not just her life, but of her whole family. They don't know. It doesn't seem fair some days. It's not fair, honestly, what our kids have to go through. And when we dig into the backstories, it's often not fair what their parents have gone through. They need people to go, you know what, I'm gonna step into the messiness. I'm gonna step into the unfairness because that's where love is really needed the most.
1: Mm-hmm. And the education piece on bringing more than just the child into your family—oftentimes you bring everybody into your family, and and that doesn't mean that it's unsafe. I mean, you know what you can do. But I have heard so many stories about a family that brought home a little guy or a little girl and then met the extended family, like you said, and they became one family. And actually, the parents signed off on the child to allow the child to be adopted because they didn't feel like they were being judged or the baby was going to be taken from them. They felt like they were a part of something and they were able to release then for the greater good of the child. And sometimes I'm not saying that it's, always that way but I am saying that to teach people to love beyond just that child or just that situation is like the next level don't you think
0: it is you know you're definitely you want the safety and well-being of that child that's that's your number one goal permanence for that child whether it's through reunification where it's safe for that child and good for that child or permanency through finalization you're willing to walk alongside that family and work together as a team. And uh, you know, one thing I love, you know, there's nothing wrong with kids having more people surrounding them and loving them. So, isn't it cool, you know, that they'll have their birth dad and they'll have their adoptive dad and they'll, you know, there's, it's just awesome right. that kids have all those layers of love in their lives.
1: I agree. I agree. How can people get a hold of you? They
2: can call us, they can email us, they can go onto our website. There's lots of different ways to connect with us. Our website is
0: www.nightlight.org. Now we're the same way. The easiest way to connect with us is really to go on our website, project127.com. And from there you can call us or email us or just all kinds of ways. But you know what? I just want to say, take the next step, find out more, explore this a little further.
1: You don't have to work with Nightlight to work with Project 127,
0: correct? Yeah, we're definitely an entry point. So, you know, just to give that beginning education and then the entire certification as well. And then a family would choose to go to an amazing agency like Nightlight, or they could choose to go with their local county as well.
1: And tell me how long when I start the process until I actually get placement.
0: Well, you probably could get certified as quickly as three months if you're really on it and get through all your training. It often takes four to six months. Right now, most of our families are getting placed pretty much as soon as they're certified. There's not a lot of waiting unless you just have, you know, just a really kind of tight band that you're able to serve.
1: And when I get the call for a child, I have the choice to say yes or no.
0: That's correct. You know, we would encourage you to kind of run down your list of things you've said, hey, this is what we can handle and make sure this child's a good fit for you.
2: Yeah. And I would say too that as an agency, we're the middle point between a family and the county. And so if there is a specific age range or certain behaviors that you know are going to be an absolute no for your family, we won't even call you about those children. We won't put you in that situation where you have to say no. Thank you so much for being here.
0: Well, Thank you, April, for raising awareness.
1: Thank you for the work you do to promote foster care and to train our families in a loving, gracious way. I think that makes the world of difference when you're going into an already hard situation is to have people who, like you said, are supporting you, loving you, and praying for you. So thank you both. Don't forget to like Adoption Now on Facebook. And remember, all of our podcasts are available on iTunes. Thanks for tuning in to Adoption Now. I'm your host, April Fallon. See you next week.